maybe you may have heard of the story of a life none other than Rainbow Man. During the 80s, which we're celebrating today, this guy would literally go to all these major sporting events, whether it was the World Series or even the World Cup, um, some of the Olympics, um, just to promote the message that simply stated a singular verse. He wanted people to know the most simple definition of, of God's gospel boiled down to this one verse so that if people looked it up, they, they would be able to understand a little bit of it. Many of us have even heard this verse before, and it's one of the most popular verses uh, and well-known, partially because of this guy. Rainbow Man brought attention to the importance of God's love and this verse in John 3.16 that states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But what does it mean to believe in God's Son? And how does this display God's love for us? See, love can be complicated. It can sometimes be a difficult thing to put your finger on. There are some times where it hits you all at once and you can look back at a singular moment. Others may feel like you've loved them forever because they consistently were self-sacrificing. Someone who showed up constantly and noticed you and helped you along the way just feel like you've loved them forever. But I think the single most defining moment in history, especially when it comes to love, happened a little over 2,000 years ago, and it can even be boiled down to that one single verse. John 3.16, once again, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, this Son of God, Jesus, he was born as a nobody into nothing from nowhere. Jesus was a, a nobody. The only thing that Jesus had going for him inside of his life um, while he was being born was that he did come from the lineage of David, who was the great king back a thousand years earlier. Outside of that, Jesus was known as the kid with questionable birth circumstances. Mary and Joseph were engaged, and during that engagement, Mary ended up pregnant. I don't know about you guys, but some people might make some assumption as to how that happened, and Jesus was known as a nobody who was born under questionable circumstances. He was born into nothing. When he came to this earth, he wasn't placed in a, a silver bassinet or one of the really pretty ones that are out there for our baby showers. Instead, he was placed in a feeding trough for animals because there wasn't even enough room for him in a regular house. Jesus was born into nothing. And, and people might sometimes ask someone whenever they're being a goofball and don't have manners, like, were you born in a barn? To which Jesus would say, well, actually, funny story. <laughs> and he was born nowhere. Jesus grew up in a small town called Nazareth. It was a small town like out in the boonies. Some might think of it like 
Like, I know um, the Coons, they live out in Manchester. Some people may not know, like, it's out in the middle of nowhere. He was born as a nobody into nothing from nowhere. The Son of God, God in the flesh, lowered himself to be born into these circumstances. And that's just the beginning of God's love. Later on, the devil comes to him and wants to make him into something. He comes to Jesus and gives him this temptation of an opportunity out of what he knows is coming ahead. Jesus was sent on a mission of love and self-sacrifice. And the temptation to override it to where he could easily take a way out and just get everything handed to him came along and yet... Jesus chose love. He chose not to think of himself and continue on with his mission to put others first instead of himself and follow God wholly. Personally, though, I think the highest culmination of love comes not only from the life that he lived, but from the death that he died. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the uh, Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 23. Um, and while you're getting there, I, I just want to give you guys a little bit of context into, um, into this that has helped shape the way that I read this Gospel in particular. See, Luke is a Gospel that is written primarily to non-Jewish audience. People that didn't really know too much about God's Word. And it shows us how Jesus is the light of the world for everyone, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And that's part of the reason why I find it so fascinating, the way in which Jesus acts in this gospel specifically when it comes to his death. In Luke 23... I want you all to recognize the interaction Jesus has with those around him. Let's take a look. We're starting in verse 26 of chapter 23. It says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him a cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the day is coming when they will say, Blessed are those who are barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And while this interaction is not yet quite on the cross, he's on his way to the cross. um, I want you to notice how Jesus' response points us away from himself and towards those around him. This somewhat strange with all the analogies and stuff like that. They can sometimes be hard to catch. But... Um, regardless, the overriding and, and simple concept from this message is do not weep for me, weep for yourselves. 
Instead of making this all about himself, Jesus instead interjects self-denial and fixates on others as a final act of love. And as we continue to walk through the narrative, uh, this will continue to come up. All of the red letter, if you guys have a red letter Bible like me, mine's a little worse for wear. Um, but um, if you have a red letter Bible like me, you'll, you'll see these phrases. There are only four of them. And picking up in verse 32, it says this. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. See, once again, having every right to throw a pity party about himself, Because he has done literally absolutely nothing wrong and nothing to deserve what he was going through. Instead, Jesus turns the focus away from himself and decides to forgive the ones who are mistreating him. A third statement from Jesus, verses 39 through 43. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged hanged railed at him saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same circumstances of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly deserve this, for we are receiving due due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He pardons a man next to him on the cross. And we don't really know anything about this man outside of basically one fact. That he was guilty. He even admitted it himself. He said, you know, we did all this stuff wrong. And yet... In this moment, Jesus, while in pain, while in difficulty, he takes the time to recognize and reconcile this man to God. The final statement that Jesus makes inside of Luke's account is this, in verse 46. It says, Jesus calling out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, Jesus breathed his last. Literally all of these statements that Jesus makes are not about himself, but are about putting others first. Weep for yourselves. Forgive them. You will be with me. Into your hands I commit my spirit. All of this points to a love for others and a love for God that is not thinking of a love for self. Talk about practicing what you preach. He is going through the single most painful experience imaginable. So so painful that the Romans wouldn't actually do this to their own citizens because it was so heinous. And yet, he continues. 
You know, the first criminal that we heard from, save yourselves and save us. Jesus could have done that. He could have, by one command, called down all of the angels, and he could have stopped it. But that wouldn't be in the service of love. And we're called to be a people that love like this. A love that is willing to lay down our self-interests and our comforts and our desires and put others first. And if we chronologically look back just, just one day prior, Jesus is in the upper room and he makes this plea for us to live in this way once again. He was about to eat his last meal with the disciples and he decides to do something pretty unexpected and very mind-boggling. He knelt down and washed the disciples' sand-wearing feet. And for those of you who don't know me, I, I almost wear sandals almost religiously. My wife advised me not to this week. I don't know why, but... <laughs> But I, I wear sandals almost religiously, almost every day. And let me tell you, if the disciples' feet were anything like mine, that's a pretty gross job. You know, just the other day, I was actually walking in Liberty Park. I was playing disc golf. They have that nine-hole disc golf course out at Liberty Park. I love it. Um, and while I was enjoying playing, um, I stepped on something that I knew I shouldn't have. I, I looked, you know, it was, it was, it was brown. <laughs> it smelled really gross. It was, it was sticky. And I, I looked down to see if my suspicions were correct, and of course they were. I'd stepped on a mushroom. <laughs> but after Jesus washed their fungus-covered or even camel byproduct-covered feet, he instituted something that shows what we need to look like when it comes to each other. It says this in, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' love is not some, some idle thing that says, I love you, but never does anything to show it. Words by themselves don't implicate genuine love. Instead, it's by our actions that we can truly express the magnitude of love. I believe it was a defining moment in 1970 when a group of individuals filled with love for their community and filled with love for God started meeting together. Since then, there have been a lot of defining moments for this congregation, even if you know we only had congregational minutes inside of the 80s. I'm sure that there were still some defining moments that happened then, just like, I mean, Steve getting hired. Pretty big deal for the first time. And deciding to meet was defining. Being able to erect a building was defining. Hiring a minister was defining. 
One thing after another, after another, after another. And this church is right where God wants it to be in this moment with this people, for better or for worse. And some of you all, this this might be your first Sunday ever here. And that's awesome. It it can be a place and, and it can be a defining moment for you. I know for myself, it was a very defining moment in my life to start working here. And for those of you who have been coming for some time um, or or longer, I also wanted to say that I've heard that you guys have gone through some some difficulty too. I also wanted to say that I'm not going to stand here and and pretend like I understand the depths and the extents of of the difficulties that you've gone through that each of you have endured, but I want you to know that we are glad you're here. And maybe, just maybe, God is opening up an opportunity for both of us and this church to have a defining moment of love for each other and for our neighbors. Whatever has led you to this point right here and right now, Hopefully this can be a defining moment for you. And love sometimes, it is littered with pain. It's full of loss, has a wake of difficulties. And it even has some less than ideal moments. And yet Jesus calls us to it still. He actually uses Love as the summation of all of the law when, he, when someone asks him. He, he says, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hinge on these two commands. And if this is to be the greatest commands in the Bible, how do we actually live this out? And Jesus speaks heavily into the idea of what it means to love. It, it extends beyond just those whom we know, those who are kind to us. And I think that usually we gravitate towards relationships that are symbiotic and mutually beneficial. And some people, the outlook may be, I'll love you as long as you love me. I'll be kind and nice to you as long as you don't cross me. I always found that phrase interesting, don't cross me. But anyway, Jesus calls us to love everyone, especially those that aren't beneficial to us or that that feel the same way as us. Look at what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, verse 32. I try to stay inside of two, two books. I, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to love, but I just wanted to show you all inside of Luke chapter 6 what Jesus says about love. It says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good... To those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
But what I tell you is love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Heavenly Father is merciful. It can be easy to allow ourselves to interact with people that are like-minded, that are easy to get along with, that, that cause us to feel warm and secure and all happy and fuzzy and cuddly inside. But Jesus talks of a kind of love that, that requires sacrifice. It requires getting out of our comfort zone and having a, a, a mindset that says that no matter what someone else does to me, no matter how bad they treat me, no matter how much they hurt me or belittle, belittle me, no matter if they think that the, the Reds are the worst team in the NLB, MLB, even then, we're called to love them. Why? Because Jesus first loved us. God came here to this earth as a testament to that. So what does it look like to practically love those around us? Well, as a church, one way that we can do that is actually by getting involved in, in, in some of our outreach events that are happening throughout this month. On September 16th, we're going to be going um, to Liberty Park and having a night out for, for families and on the 25th, or 24th and the 25th, there's an Apple Fest, and they're actually um, inside of your bulletins. There are different uh, volunteer opportunities. And, and these are just, we want to give the community a night out just to enjoy the company of others and um, also give a non-threatening way to just start a conversation, to get to know people and invite them to get to know what we are all about. Another way is to start interacting with people that you don't know. Something that I love about Jeff is that he makes it a point to get to know people's names and prioritizes remembering them. It's a practical step that goes a really long way. And even if you're bad at names, it's a great way for them to feel like you notice them and you care for them. It's pretty hard to say you love someone if you don't even know their name. And even in this church, I'm sure there are people that you don't know by name, that you have yet to meet. Make it a point to get to know them. It's okay if you may not even, you may have met them a couple times and might need a reminder for names. I'm still there. I've only been here a month. I don't, I don't know everybody's names. But get to know them. We're called to love those around us. And that's how we are known inside of the world as Jesus' disciples, if we love one another. And, and finally, the, the one thing that I think is the most difficult for all of us to hear is that the church is not about us and what we want. If you come here believing that we'll meet all of your needs, and that we're the perfect place, and everyone has the same opinion, you've come to the wrong church. There are only three people that I have 
met that have the exact same opinion on things that I do. It's me, myself, and I. Even my wife and I have different opinions on things. Like, like the way that I think that I'm funny and she thinks otherwise. <laughs> We're wired to have different opinions. It's not a bad thing. But instead of fixating on our own opinions, on our own preferences, on the way that we should do music, or what we should wear to church, or how long a sermon should be, and how I should get off the stage at this point, regardless of our own preferences, let's love one another enough to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. To fixate on whether or not what we are doing is glorifying God and loving toward those around us instead of ourselves. If we can center around that, I think this can be an amazing church of love. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. I pray that we can be like you in all of our relationships, to start to get to know people and be intentional about letting them into our lives because you have called us to love even those who are our enemies. I pray that we can be intentional this week to recognize, to notice people and realize that they need you and that you are the only source of life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.